The Matt Hasselbeck Show. Presented by Infinity of Bellevue and Linwood. Seahawks legend Matt Hasselbeck takes you inside the Seahawks and the NFL for a full hour. Exclusively on the Mike Sox Show. Hello, Matt. What's happening? How we doing, man? Great. Wild card weekend in the books. Extra long. Super, super wild card weekend. Yeah, it kind of wasn't, though. Kind of a lame. It's kind of a lame wild card weekend, I guess. Say a lot of blowouts. Yeah, I mean four out of six blowouts, and even the other two. I mean they were good games. They weren't great games. I mean they sort of the end of the Dallas game was fun, but it was just a kind. You know, maybe you think that's just a having the the number seven seeds and b making the number twos play on that weekend. Probably a little bit of that. There's some good teams out there too, though. I mean, there's some teams with hot quarterbacks right now. There's some teams that have found their way running the ball, and then there's some teams that. Like you said, you know they're they're uh, they're not great teams. Did they really have a chance to hoist to Lombardi? Probably not. But uh, I, I appreciated how much football there was, and uh, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. Who uh, who did you think was the best team you saw this weekend? I mean, the Buffalo Bills did things that were just just wild. I mean, I'm blanking on the stats because I've moved on to new stats, but it was something like no punts, no field goals, no turnovers for their offense. No punts, no field goals, no turnovers, no sacks. I mean, this is against Bill Belichick and the Patriots. They scored like seven touchdowns in a row. I mean, how would you like to be their punter? You don't get to punt. And you don't even get to go out and hold for field goals. I mean, it was like, <laughs> what, what a wild, what a wild day. So, do you think uh, that's for sustainable for them? Like, is that who? I mean, it's not, they're not going to do that every time, obviously. But are is their offense that good all of a sudden? Did they just get everything clicking at the right moment? What What, what do you make of that? I think there's a common denominator for most of the teams still left in the playoffs, and that's like MVP quarterback play. Mm-hmm. I mean, pretty much it's MVP quarterback play, and then the exceptions to that might be some teams that just have an outstanding, outstanding run game and a good defense, like the 49ers would be an example. They're not getting MVP quarterback play, but they're just running the heck out of the ball, and they're playing good defense. Tennessee, about to be, about to be one of those teams that's running the heck out of the ball, playing good defense. Uh, the Rams, I don't really know what category you'd put them into, but Cam Akers coming back and and OBJ showing up and Matthew Stafford kind of getting hot. Th- those are like the you know those are the outliers. But other than that, you got Joe Burrow in Cincinnati who is balling, breaking all kinds of records. You got an MVP quarterback in Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. You got an MVP quarterback in Tampa Bay and Tom Brady. And then you got Mahomes and Josh Allen, who, I mean, they're as good as there ever was. So, like, I, I think that's kind of the common denominators of, of, of who's left. All right, we're going to talk a little bit more about uh, the NFL in general as we get into uh, some rapid fire here in a little bit. But uh, let's start here in, in Seattle because we've had some moves here now in the last day or two after the big meeting. Pete's still here. That wasn't a huge surprise. Uh, and John's still here. There didn't seem to be too much news coming out of it. But Ken Norton Jr. let go yesterday, the defensive coordinator. You were around Pete. How hard do you think that was for him, just as loyal as he is? Yeah, I think it's the hardest thing in coaching, letting go of coaches. And, uh, you know, I was there with Ken Nort- Kenny Norton. You know, he was there. They, they came in together from USC and have a history long before that. And and uh, I'm sure it was very difficult. But but it, it's, a, it's a little and, – and I, and I loved Ken Norton. I, I loved playing there with him. He brought great energy to our, um, to our team, to our pregame, to, you know, had great insights. And he's got a bunch of Super Bowl rings. Um, 
But I think, you know, some of it is just putting the pieces together on your coaching staff that matches your personnel and what you're going to be and how you're going to do it. And whether that's just being a little bit more aggressive, playing a little bit more man, a little less zone. Like those are the things that you got to look at. Are we going to be a team that's primarily a base defense team, meaning three linebackers on the field at the time? Or are we going to be more nickel, meaning five DBs on the field? Some teams are playing a lot of dime right now, which is six DBs on the field. You know, figuring out how that philosophy works together with your personnel and then also what you're trying to be on offense uh, and then also who's in your division, th- those are some of the tough decisions that need to be made. And, um, and, and quite honestly, like that's what that's what you do in an off-season review. How can we get a lot better and how can we fix what needs to be fixed? Yeah, it's interesting. We were just talking to Tyler Columbus, uh, I don't know, about a half hour ago. You didn't play with him, did you? Did he come out? I did, yeah. Oh, you did yeah, play he was, uh, Yeah, he, he, was, uh, he was way more downfield than I was on the Marshawn Lynch Beast Quake run. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not even sure what position he was playing at, at the time. I think he's a tackle by you know size and stature but he might have been playing guard for us i'm not sure well so we were talking to him and and trying to figure out he's he's doing some radio in denver at our sister station there and trying to figure out what what pete's trying to do and where he wants to go next not so much just the specific names although he was talking to us about ed donatel because that's one that's Mm -hmm. come up but but also just sort of what pete's looking to do and and his opinion after being around pete a little bit is that pete won't want to go with something new, won't want to go with somebody from a new system or somebody wants to challenge him, that he's looking for somebody to communicate better the same system that Pete has always used. Is that the same sense you would get, or do you think there's some realistic opportunity here to do things a little bit differently? Yeah, I don't think I don't think Pete would put himself in a box like that. I mean, the name Ed Donatel is is exactly the type of person that I would be thinking of. A, a time tested, been there, done it, technician, teacher, uh, has a long history in this league. I mean, in fact, he was the defensive coordinator for the Green Bay Packers on the uh, on my infamous interception to Al Harris in that wild card game. And in a quick story on that, it was I believe it was like third and eight or something like that. And they show this blitz. It's an all-out blitz. He's a very aggressive play caller. Kind of, you've seen what they did with Vic Fangio. Same kind of stuff uh, in Denver, but very aggressive. So it's going to be an all-out cover zero blitz. I see it. I start to audible. They call timeout. Okay. They call timeout. They huddle up on the sidelines. We huddle up on the sidelines. They say, "Hey, listen. Uh, this is Ed Donatel now. Hey, if it's all out blitz, he's going to audible to hitches or whatever. They're going to audible three step game. Uh, go ahead and you know fire your gun, make a play." And uh, we're over there on our sideline saying, hey, if uh, if they audible to cover zero, let's go to our three-step. That's what we do. So, you know, really an, a huge assist to Ed Donatel and to that coaching staff for really being dialed in and being aggressive. I mean, a lot of defensive coordinators would be afraid to make the play in that kind of a situation because it, it's a little bit feast or famine, right? you got to sort of educate guests right. And uh, anyway, he was that defensive coordinator. He was in Green Bay. <laughs> Uh, when I was there, he's a really, really well-respected coach. And and you're going to get a lot of um, those types of names, I'm sure. This is a coveted job uh, to to be with Pete and to, uh, you know, have that crowd noise behind you. So, um, you know, I mean, who knows if he's really in the mix there or not. I don't know. But but uh, I've got a ton of respect for him as a coach. How about Gus Bradley? You were you were around him, I know, right, for a short amount of time. What uh, What did you make of Gus? Yeah, I love Gus. You know, same thing. He's time and time 
tested in terms of uh, you know what he is. He's a little more of the Monty Kiffin Tampa Bay scheme, which is uh, you know Tampa two when you play zone, it's fire zone. He's playing a lot more man than he's played uh, in in uh, Las Vegas. Uh, again, like similar, I would say similar to what the Seahawks have been in the past scheme-wise in terms of, hey, we're going to get a pass rush with four. Uh, we're going to get a little exotic on third and seven plus, but if it's not third and seven plus, you're going to pretty much know what we're doing defensively. We're just going to do it really, really well. Um, but again, I, I don't know that X's and O's is really what I think Pete will go for. I think it's going to be a little bit more uh, the person, the teaching, the technique, the the experience, uh, how quickly and moldable and adaptable are they to in-game adjustments, how moldable are they to the personnel. Quite honestly, the personnel in Seattle is a little unique. You know, you, you have one safety that um, is is really a great pass rusher, uh, but that's about it. So how, you need to get him, you, you know, you need to get him pass rushing and not stuck in man coverage too much. You know what I mean? Stuff stuff like that. So, yeah, there's, well, there's we, a let's lot. Let's stop there for a moment. Let me kind of follow up there because that's been one of the things we've talked about here for the last couple of days. Any, any interview with a new defensive coordinator here, one of the first questions has to be, how are you going to handle Jamal Adams and how are you going to get the most out of this enormous investment that the team has made, both in terms of draft picks and in terms of money? How do you answer? What's the right answer to that question? Well, I th- that's the thing. Like Pete Carroll's the guy I ask. Like, that's a conversation between two guys that know X's and O's. And everybody they bring in for these conversations is going to be smart enough, intelligent enough, and experienced enough on the X's and O's of it. Hey, well, here are the coverages that you can play. You can play man, you can play zone, you can play single high, you can play two high. To me, it's not so much that as it is a general philosophy of how are we going to create turnovers? How are we going to get the ball back? You know, that's the other thing that you look at, you know, just the turnover differential of the teams that did well this year and the teams that didn't do well, the teams that are at home right mm-hmm. now. You know, it's obviously protecting the football. Yeah, obviously. That's part of it. Well, guess what? It's a team sport. And so, you know, going right with, like, protecting the football is like, hey, defense, you're allowed to go get turnovers. You're allowed to go create them yourself. And the best defense, as you saw it in Dallas this year with Dan Quinn, it wasn't that their numbers were so great, but they were just getting the ball. Like, they were just getting the football. And it probably made them seem like a way better team than they really were. You know, we're over here. So a lot of people are picking them to go to the Super Bowl because they're first in their division. Were they really that great of a team? Or did they have a defense that was not only getting the ball but scoring on defense? So I think it's more than the X's and O's of it. It's going to be a general philosophy of, hey, okay, who are our playmakers and how do we put them in a position to have this mindset where we're going to be aggressive and we're going to go try to get the football. And and if you get that right, then then I think like the X's and O's of it, you you can you can be whatever you decide you want to be. Yeah, I mean, I think I saw the Seahawks had fewer turnovers caused this year than in any time in their history, right? So just they're not. <laughs> which, yeah, which is which would just be nails on a chalkboard right. to Pete Carroll. It's antithetical to what Pete wants to do. He just he exactly, he, I, I, and then maybe one of the reasons that we saw the moves made yesterday with Ken Norton and Andre Curtis, who was the passing game coordinator as well. You know, one of the one of the questions, and in, and in fairness, yeah. and in fairness to those, to you know, to Ken especially, he's like, well, what else? You you got to change something. Yep. 
So you, you're not going to change the offense because you just change the offense. Like so, I mean, you, what are the options? Like, you got to you got to do something. You can't really change some of the players because of cap stuff. So well, you know, and, and maybe this came from Jody. Him. I mean, they just had this meeting last week. Maybe some of this comes from above. Of hey, what are you going to do that's different? Right? You can't just come back to me with the same plan and do the same thing again. What are you going to do differently? And maybe this is one of the things that gets decided on in a meeting like that. Yeah, you're you're probably right. What um. When you one of the things I hear about this defense is that over time it has not evolved, right? Dan Quinn ran this defense, but that he's evolved it uh, in Atlanta and then in Dallas. Gus Bradley ran this defense, but has evolved it in San Diego and then in uh, and then in uh, L.A. with the Chargers, or and then in uh, Vegas rather. What does this defense need to be evolved, or does it just need to be communicated differently? I think it needs to be executed better, and and you know we talked all year about. You want to fix a lot of your problems, just get a great pass rush. And I think back to the Legion of Boom, and yeah, they were playing great, but part of that defense was a great pass rush as well. And then it gets contagious that way. You know, so like I think the pass rush thing, a consistent pass rush, a four man rush, even a three man rush, that's a, that's a real factor. Um, you know, the other thing I've mentioned it kind of all year, I know there was a little bit of a disagreement of opinion, but Line up and play in the in the secondary and have your assignment correct. You know, sometimes disguising uh, can get you in a little bit of trouble. And and I, to me on film, I, I think what I've seen, if I go back and I watch the big plays against the Seahawks, I feel like a little bit of over disguise. Um, you know, the, so that's that's something. You know, eliminating big plays and stuff like that. But, but again, I, I just I think just execution and and just being a little bit, just tighten the screws a little bit. Guys are in position to make plays; they just weren't making plays when they needed to. Well, when I hear you say that, I mean that sounds like a pretty good argument in favor of a name like Clint Hurt, who's already on the on the staff, or or even an Ed Donatel, both of whom are really known for their communication and maybe you know have relationship with Pete and and don't need to come in and make a tremendous tremendous amount of changes it sounds a little bit more like keep the status quo but do it better uh, there's just something awesome there's just something awesome for a player and i don't know what it was like this year so i can't speak to that but there's just something awesome for a player to be coached hard and to really feel like looking you know from the beginning of the year to the end of the year and saying to yourself like wow it wasn't always easy and it wasn't always fun but like i got so much better as a player this year and we got so much better as a unit this year and so whoever can, whatever group of people or whoever can take this unit to that level where guys are having the best years of their career, young players are now not playing like young players. They're playing like savvy vets. Um, you know, that's that's kind of what you're looking for as, as a Gosh, player. I, and, I, you know, I love that. Fun. And that's how I felt when I was a kid. I mean, you know, just basketball coaches in high school or whatever. Like, I loved being coached like that. When I talk to Brock about what he sees in the college football world, et cetera, everything I hear from him especially is the opposite, that, that you can't do that the same way anymore, that, that maybe you know our generation loved that, but that the next generation of players maybe doesn't want that the same way. There's certain coaches and coaches, coaching staff, so that have a culture and a DNA that uh, their resume allows them to still do that. Mm. You know, I think of the Patriots, and you, no one questions anything Bill Belichick says How in that they? building. No one questions Andy Reid. No one's gonna. I don't think anyone's gonna question Pete Carroll in Seattle. No one's questioning Mike Vrabel. Mike Vrabel's got the most old school football practices <laughs> you've ever seen in your life. He's got coaches out there with bags doing forearm shivers on Derrick Henry. They got 
got he's got the GM out there with boxing gloves on, punching AJ Brown as he's walking through like ladder drills and like literally just trying to get the ball out. I mean, there there's there's culture and DNA, and it's just like, hey, this is how we do things. We're not here to coddle you here. We're we're not here to coddle you. We're here to hoist something. And if you want to hoist something, and that's a Lombardi, here's here's our vision to how to how to get it done. And uh, I, I think that's completely doable in the NFL. College might be a little different because of the transfer portal and mommy and daddy and all that stuff. That's completely, uh, I think, I mean, I think guys buy into that in the, in the NFL if you've got a leader who's setting that culture everywhere in the building. Yeah. Let's uh, let me turn to the offensive side of the ball. And, and uh, as we talked to Matt Hasselbeck, as we do Wednesdays here at nine o'clock, a uh, good hour with Matt and the Matt Hasselbeck show. Um, we were talking to Albert Breer yesterday and he mentioned something that I've heard him say before. Uh, essentially, you know, it's the very I'm just play a 10 seconds here, but it's the last the very last thing he says that I think is interesting. I think the hedging from Russ's camp is not a great sign. Now we'll see if they can work something out. But, you know, there's been an acknowledgement for a while that this could be the last contract he'll do with the team. An acknowledgement that this is, could be the last contract he would do with the team. If that's the case, you're looking at two more years with Russ. Uh, the reason I bring it up is to ask the question, can you win a Super Bowl with this roster, et cetera, within the next two years? Because the answer to that question probably dictates a lot of what else you do this offseason. I think there's a real danger in looking at, like, the next two years, or I want to win three more Super Bowls. Like, there's there's a danger in that. Like, there's a saying, be where your feet are. Like, the next, the biggest game is the next game. Like, those are cliches, but I just think that's the best way to approach everything. Um, I was with the Colts at the end of my career, and, you know, one of the things that they said there that really bothered me, it was like, oh, we're going to win multiple championships with Andrew Luck. It's like, mm, let's, let's get one. <laughs> let's get one. You know, it's the reason at halftime when you're down 14 nothing, a lot of great coaches, I've heard them say in the locker room, hey, there's no such thing as a 14-point touchdown. Okay, let's not talk about how we're going to get our next two touchdowns. Let's talk about how we're going to get a, a touchdown. You know, and, and that starts with a first down and that starts with a positive play. Like, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, uh, maybe I'm old school that way, but, uh, well, I don't think know. so. I think, I think what you say makes a lot of sense. But at this, while thinking that, don't you, somebody also have to be looking at it realistically and saying, all right, if for, so, if we don't think Russ is going to be back after two more years, and if we don't think that we've got the horses to turn into a Super Bowl team in that time, do you start thinking about a deal in order to get to the Super Bowl the soonest, which is, as far as I know, the goal of every team, right? What's the quickest path to get to a Super Bowl? This, this team, this team is, uh, I mean, this team has the talent in my mind. I mean, think about it, right? If Tennessee makes the Super Bowl this year, we'd be like, oh, okay, right. You know, 49ers could beat anybody. If they'd be going beat Green Bay this year, it'd be like, yeah, okay, the 49ers, the Green Bay can't beat the 49ers. Like, I get it. Well, the Seahawks, the, this sort of bad version of the Seahawks this year that won seven games, two of those were against the 49ers, right? And Tennessee, they really should have won that game, just – do your job on defense and don't give up a 70 yard run and the, the game's yours. Like, like there's, they can beat anybody. They just have to play better with the players that they have. Sure. Will they improve talent? Will they maybe tighten the screws a little bit on technique? Yeah. But this idea that you would like start 
I don't know, rebuilding or mm-hmm. something like that. Like that's that seems well, that seems like foolish. Good. Then, then I think that's really instructive. I, I, by the way, I think I tend to agree with you. I don't think they're that that far away, despite kind of a rough year record wise this year. If that's the case, you know, you kind of have this window here. While not only Russ is here, but he's in the prime of his career. Would it would it cause you to maybe go a little bit more all in on trying to bring some some bigger names, free agents? You mentioned the pass rush. Chandler Jones a real possibility this offseason if you're the Seahawks? I mean, you're definitely looking for somebody that can rush the passer situationally in in a, you know, in a very very consistent manner. But for me, like I think I would start with how do we take the guys on our team currently and how do we help them play better, the better version of themselves. You know, obviously I love Russ, but I don't think he had a great year personally. You know, I mentioned it earlier. Like, we're this was a seven and ten team. If he just plays to his potential, it's a ten and seven team right there, with adding no people. Mm-hmm. And I could say the same thing for other people on that team. So just focus on that real quick. And all of a sudden, you're ten and seven. You're in now. You're in the playoffs. Like you're still playing. You're not sitting at home posting Instagram videos of your workouts. You're playing. If you just get your current guys playing better, yeah, I think uh, I'll just argue so, on behalf of of a lot of the listeners that we talk to all the time here who say, yeah, we've seen that for the last half a decade or so, maybe more. We don't want to go ten and seven and exit in the first or second round of the playoffs. We miss going to Super Bowls, right? It was seven years ago yesterday with the 2014 uh, NFC Championship game. It was eight years ago today that Aaron Andrews asked Richard Sherman who was talking about him. They they want to get back to that level of being one of the truly dominant teams in the league. Yeah, yeah. So so then then do you got to do what basically if you look at the divisional round of the playoffs, like I was saying, all these teams have something in common they either have a quarterback that's playing like an mvp burrow aaron Rodgers, tom brady stafford patrick mahomes uh josh allen Mm -hmm. okay they either have that or you have a dominant dominant run game and a very very good defense which i would put the 49ers in that category right now and i don't know where to put the rams right now like they're they're kind of in the dominant uh, defensive category i mean i know the offense does some things but my god they just they just ran roughshod over the Cardinals' offense. I yeah. thought on Monday night. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I've just got. To, I've seen them get just. You know, if someone's going to commit to the run against mm-hmm. the Rams, then the Rams have a little bit of an issue. But but yeah. So listen, that that to me, Seattle can be in that mix. But you're going to need one of those two things. You're going to need MVP MVP type play out of your quarterback, and or you got to get your defense playing like the Legion of Boom that you're talking about. Or have that Marshawn Lynch type commitment to the run game the way that the 49ers do right now. Uh, and they're doing it creatively. They don't have that Marshawn Lynch. So they said, you know what? We're going to take Debo Samuel and we're going to make him our best running back. And then they did it. So, I mean, I think Seattle's right there. And, I, and I'm saying 7 and 10 to 10 and 7. That's just if you fix the guys on your team. Right. That's never mind you if go you get guys. Yeah. Or draft well or go get free agents. Make a trade that fits your roster, fits your new scheme defensively. You know, that, that type of thing. What, uh, how good is Debo Samuel, by the way? He's incredible, and, uh, you know, like, he's incredible just as a wide receiver. Never mind the fact that he's the best running back on their team. And then, oh, by the way, in that last, in that second Rams game, uh, he also threw a touchdown pass. <laughs> it's like, on, on Jalen Ramsey, no less. And did you see him uh, talking okay. to the kid from Nickelodeon after the game the other day? It was great. He totally handled it like a pro. It's like, young kid was asking him questions, and he treated him like an adult. It was awesome. I love Debo Samuel. Yeah. 
No, it was great. And I, I think that's part of the reason why some people are really looking at the 49ers, a team that didn't have a great season necessarily. You know, they were 10-7, and 7, but they're going to Green Bay, a team that they have – really shown that they are more physical than every time that they've played. And it's Kyle Shanahan against essentially, you know, little brother in LaFleur. And when you have those guys that know each other really, really well as, as you know, head coaches going up against each other, who knows what could happen. And so you go back to the last matchup of Green Bay and San Fran, it came down to a Aaron Rodgers heroic two-minute throw. And ironically, because we're talking umpires and Dak Prescott and all that, Probably the most impressive play I've seen all year was the the 40-yard dash time of the umpire in the Green Bay (laughs) Packers versus the San Francisco 49ers game. Run down there, 36 yards or whatever it was, and place the ball so that Aaron Rodgers could get the spike off to win the game. Uh, so this is that's a heck of a game, and if the 49ers could beat Green Bay, look out. I mean, All right, well, knows? that's a perfect lead-in to where I want to go next. We're going to go around the league. We have some rapid fire for Matt, some short answers to important questions, and then, uh, well, a little bit of an odd-ranked. Uh, this was uh, this is an offbeat idea. We'll see where it goes. It may be... It may be the best ranked we've done with Matt. It may not work at all, but I have a pretty good sense that it should, it should work. We'll take a chance. We'll do it together. It's all coming up. Mike Salk Show, Matt Hasselbeck, 710 ESPN Seattle. This is the Mike Salk Show. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Back in mornings from 6 to 10. On 710 ESPN Seattle. Yeah, Matt Hasselbeck show every Wednesday from 9 to 10 here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Glad to have Matt with us for it. Uh, I'm going to do some rapid fire. We'll go around the league in a moment. I want to spend a moment, though, first on the uh, Cowboys-Niners game and the way it ended. You were talking about the umpire in a different game sprinting down the field. What did you make of the way all of that went down at the end with Dak and the umpire and, and kind of the whole ending of that game? Yeah, poor execution. I actually don't. I don't hate the play call. You heard Tony Romo even at the time say, "Hey, you no, know, this this can work. This is a good idea." They practice it, but they just they just did it very poorly. Number one, you got to get that ball to the umpire. Now, the umpire for me is not. Um, not completely innocent of guilt here because he did a poor job. The way that those guys are trained, it's not even important, like one yard forward or one yard back. You just have to touch the football and let them spike it. So he didn't do a great job, but Dak Prescott, shockingly to me, I thought he'd be more prepared and ready for that. Uh, that was on him, and now he's just going to have to sit in that all off season and and uh, wonder what if because uh, they couldn't they couldn't execute. So you think it's that you like the idea of you know a run to the let's call it the 30 or so, and then taking one shot from the 30 versus maybe two or even three shots from where you were at the 40? No, I, I don't I don't like the idea of the run, but but a quicker pass. Yeah, I'm okay with going to the middle. And the reason I say that is I've tried to complete passes on that sideline defense. It's, it's near impossible in that situation. And the idea of like throwing Hail Mary after Hail Mary kind of deal, like the only thing I'll say is that I have not heard anyone say – those wide receivers are gassed. Mm. Like, it's hard. Like, those guys just went down the field in the two-minute situation. So to ask them to go run a Hail Mary, jog back, and then run a Hail Mary again, and these are the same guys that had, you know, previously been on the four or five plays before that, yeah. it's uh, it, I just don't know how realistic it is because your best players might tap out. They, they, they're they not cross-country runners. They're sprinters. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, tough, it's tough to run that many plays in a row, especially deep balls. All right, good stuff. Let's do a little rapid fire and... 
wild card weekend and we look around the NFL. Here we go. Some quick fire questions for you, Matt. Will Cliff Kingsbury keep his job after what happened in Arizona or against Arizona or for Arizona against the Rams the other night? Yeah, he'll keep his job, and he just he he has to get that quarterback, very talented quarterback. He's got to get him to play better and more consistent. Every year, his team has ended their season poorly. This year, it was five out of six that they lost. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Bidwell seemed a little upset last year. I don't know whether he's going to have that much patience with Cliff. Well, they're, they're, you know, they they the the excuse the excuse will be that DeAndre Hopkins wasn't out there, and that's a pretty valid excuse, but. But I, I think if you just, again, just fix the quarterback, and that team's a heck of a lot better. Well, that would be the next question for you. Would you pay Kyler Murray elite franchise quarterback money, that you know $40 million or so that he's going to want? Possibly, you know, because he's got all the stuff you cannot coach. But the stuff that you can coach with the fundamentals, the bad body language, like so early in a game, like you got to coach that out of him. But uh, but he's got the other stuff like that is just you're not going to find it anywhere. And I would uh, I would find a way to, to just get the best out of him, I think. Can he be accurate enough to be one of the best? I think he's a great passer. I think he's a great passer. He's not a very tall guy, which doesn't bother me either, but he's got to play tall. Some of these six foot five guys can throw sidearm, not a big deal. Throw underhand, not as big of a deal. Like for, for Kyler, he, he doesn't have that luxury. He's got other luxuries, but for him, fundamentals and technique are, are going to be really key. Do you think that a healthy Baker Mayfield could be a starting and successful playoff quarterback in the NFL next year and beyond? I think the Browns are banking on that. I really do. You know, Andrew Barry, their GM, uh, traded away OBJ and is actually paying him, uh, you know, and, and t- took the cap hit because he thought it would help Baker uh, be better, spread it around more, be the Baker of last year. So he'll have surgery. I think he had surgery today, and he'll come back, and he'll have a one-year opportunity to prove that he's their franchise guy. Two top seeds that we didn't get a chance to see last week, obviously Green Bay and Tennessee. Either of them in trouble this week? Wow. You know what? Usually a top seed, you think like, ah, they got it. Tennessee is going to have to play Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow, and that is a team that has no fear. Um, I'm curious to watch that game. But like I mentioned earlier, Green Bay, like to think that Green Bay is, is just going to beat the 49ers because they are the better team. For some unknown reason, the 49ers have had the Green Bay Packers number in terms of uh, just being more physical at the line of scrimmage. And I know they played earlier this year, and it was a tight game, and Green Bay came out on it. But again, I'm going back to that umpire. Without that umpire, who was a Division One uh, defensive back going through heroics, 49ers got a win against Green Bay, and they weren't even playing well at the time. So I, I wouldn't be shocked to see an upset in Lambeau. Any of the teams that you saw this past weekend surprise you either because they played better or worse than you thought they would? You know, the Rams are coming on, Like I think, with Cam Akers. I think my knock on the Rams would have been they don't really commit to the run. Their offensive line is weak. They give up a lot of sacks. But if they're going to commit to the run and have Matthew Stafford play under center more, then you're going to see the Matthew Stafford that we saw at the beginning of the year, and you're not going to see the Matthew Stafford that we saw in Detroit, where he just heaves it up and throws it up for a Calvin Johnson-type guy uh, like he did with OBJ. You saw him lose that 49ers game. If he can, if, if Matthew Stafford can play more the, 
the Sean McVay style, and they can run the ball with Cam Akers. Watch out for the Rams in an upset against the Tampa Bay Bucks. It's not a wild card weekend conversation, but it's one we just had with John Clayton before he came on, so I'll throw it at you. B- rank these three wide receivers who are all up for the Hall of Fame this year. Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson, Reggie Wayne. Well, I mean, all good guys. I've played in a game with all of them. Torrey Holt's got to be the guy for me. Andre Johnson, great player as well. And uh, I would probably put Reggie third, although Reggie would hate hate me for that. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think Torrey Holt, he was just like when we were in Seattle, we were playing the greatest show on turf. All week long, I would hear the defensive coordinators, we got to stop 81, we got to stop 81, we're going to roll the coverage, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. And sure enough, we get to the game, and we could not stop 81. <laughs> so uh, all those guys are great receivers, no doubt. Was but he a better Torrey receiver Holt, than Isaac Bruce? Just different, I would say. You know, that's that's the thing that will probably be a knock on all these guys. You know, someone will knock Reggie Wayne because he played with Marvin Harrison. Mm-hmm. Someone will knock Torrey Holt because he played with – Isaac Bruce and, and those guys. I don't know who who Andre Johnson got to play with. You know, he was he was that single receiver, probably didn't have the quarterbacks that the other guys had and probably didn't have the teammates that the other guys had. But uh but I played with Andre and, and I played with him at the end of his career and he caught two touchdown passes for me in a Thursday night game when everyone said he was washed up and uh he, he was certainly not washed up. He was a great player. That's awesome. All right, quickly, uh best defensive line that you watched left in the playoffs. Wow, that's a that's a good one. You know the one that gets no respect that's really good is Tennessee. Shocking. Like, you know, everyone's going to talk about Aaron Donald and Von Miller and they okay, they should. But that Tennessee team is like a is a unit where, you know, Harold Landry has like 12 sacks. Who? Harold Landry. Like BC who is guy. he? He's BC guy, but like we don't talk about him. You know, Justin Simmons has got a, a Warren Sapp type uh you know, problem for te- for teams at defensive tackle. So I, I just think of the Tennessee Titans. They have one Pro Bowler on their entire uh, defense, and it's a safety. And th- their D line is really, really impressive. I like Jeffrey Simmons. I think he's a he seems to be one of those game wreckers. Man, we were talking about it earlier. How the Seahawks need that. In addition to the pass rush, just that interior defensive tackle who does more than take up space, but actually wrecks and destroys. We haven't had. I mean, we had that here with Mebane. We saw it here, I think, with Jaron Reed, and it's kind of been missing for a little while. Yeah, and and I, and I would say a common theme with a lot of these teams is really good D line play. Yeah, right. Tampa, the Rams, Green Bay, etc. Good stuff. All right, that's a little rapid fire with Matt Hasselbeck. Uh, that's been fun, kind of as we go through the playoffs here, seeing what Matt thinks on a variety of topics. All right, we will finish it up with a ranking. We're we're uh, we're we're up against it here. We're we're debating a couple of different ranks. We may go serious, we may go silly. Regardless, it will uh, shine through, and I promise will be the highlight of your day. It'll be next. It is the Matt Hasselbeck Show here on 710 ESPN Seattle. Got a list? Time to put it in order. Fred Dwarmfor's house. Top five. Top five meals that I have ever had. This is ranked. To be honest, that list was really biased. Brought to you by Carter Volkswagen. Every morning at 945 on the Mike Salk Show. That top ten list. I'm not buying that. Ranked. All right, let's finish it up with Matt Hasselbeck as we do every Wednesday from 9 to 10. And at the end, of course, we rank things. So... You guys meet in what, New York to do the show? 
right, Matt? Yeah, we always were at ESPN headquarters in Bristol, Connecticut, but COVID came and we did this show in New York City on a roof of a building last year, and then all the ESPN execs were like, hey, we like you guys in New York. This is great. Let's go back to New York. So we're in New York all the time now. All right. So now you're in New York. And you guys want to make sure you're sort of sampling the best foods of the place. We were we spent some time last week talking through donuts and some donut etiquette and the best food to have at a meeting. So it's sort of the same thing. What what are the best foods you guys have brought in to eat as a group ranked? Yeah, so we, we've got like between Teddy Bruschi and Samantha Ponder, like foodies extraordinaire. So we bring in all the best New York City stuff. And I'm, I'll just I'll kind of rank the best desserts that we've had. How did Teddy Bruschi sort become of. a New York City foodie? That just doesn't <laughs> quite like that doesn't make sense. He's the Arizona defensive end who becomes a tough guy, middle linebacker. I now he's a New York he, City foodie. Yeah, once he shaved the mullet that he had at Arizona, you know, that pack. Oh, I remember mullet, it. Yeah. You know, now he's, you know, he runs marathons and eats whatever he wants. So, uh, yeah. All right. So I'm going to kick it off. Every single Sunday morning, we go to Cicicella Patisserie and we get these chocolate croissants. We get this other, like, almond croissant. It's called the Big Nasty. It's actually like a dessert for breakfast that everybody has. Um, but it's like, a, it's a mainstay. It's a go to. It's really crazy. Croissants are kind of as good as they come. They're just a little messy, so you have them all over your face for television. But That's other than that, they're excellent. How so, many of those does Rex eat? Rex has one big nasty, but he waits till after the show to have it. So it doesn't I, all over him. I was going chocolate croissant. Uh, Teddy's a big like almond croissant guy. But this is uh, one of our favorite spots. All right, that's go. number five. In, in New York City. All right, yeah, number four. Really that's a number five dessert. Number four. Number four, this is a dessert, a cake we tried to get for Sam Ponder's birthday, but they were closed. It's from Le Chalet. It's the Le Chalet cake. It's a cheesecake. And it's it's like the restaurant in the Saks Fifth Avenue in New York City. But I've been told it's like a must-go-to. We don't get to go to any of these places. They, they kind of just order them to us. But, uh, but when you go in there, you're like, I just want that famous cheesecake. And they're like, yep, got it the famous one. So if you like cheesecake, this is supposedly one of the best cheesecakes you can find in all of New York City. Cheesecake is, I came late to life on cheesecake, or came late in life to cheesecake. Hated it when I was younger. It's addictive though. Once you kind of get into it, there's something about that like sour cream taste in it that you just kind of can't get rid of. I love it. <laughs> Very good. All right, sticking <laughs> with cakes. Listen, we couldn't get That's that like cake. That's like you're an embarrassment. Let's move well, on. Well, no, I'm just, you know, there's probably a show on after Fat this. Fat guy, let's go. It, Come on. Try to keep it moving. Well, Salk's so on a diet right now, so this is absolutely yeah. crushing Oh, he's on the juice him. cleanse. Yes. He's on the juice cleanse. Yeah. That's right. Okay, well, let's talk more about dessert then. All right, so there's this place called Milk Bar. They're famous for cookies and stuff like that, but they have a birthday cake, and we did use this birthday cake for someone's birthday this year, and the Milk Bar cake, I actually started a diet like right at the time we did this, so I didn't really get to try it but i'm just going by the sounds and the oohs and the ahs and like the group uh the, the group loved it as i guess what i'll say so with a milk bar cake okay probably on the list of uh and i think there's one in vegas i know there's a store here in boston they're, they're kind of you can order it online it's a you've you gotten really fancy in your old age i kind of imagine you more as like a fudgy the whale cookie puss carvel kind of guy but now you're talking about like le patisserie or whatever i'm surprised by this <laughs> hey it's teddy Teddy Bruski, okay? Like I told you, once he got rid of the mullet, he, he softened up a little bit. Very, All right. We got two to go. Number two. 
Number two. Okay, this is a this is a cheesecake that we have every single Sunday right after the show. They're little mini cheesecakes oh. from this place called Ellie's, and the best one by far is the pineapple cheesecake. I mean, there's like a blackberry, there's the traditional, but this little pineapple cheesecake. Trust me, if you haven't had it, you're missing out. It's, it's, I could uh, get into it's, pineapple. It's really I could do that. I could, I could try pineapple cheesecake. And the whole thing is it's kind of mini. You know what I mean? So you're like, oh, I'm not really going to have dessert. But it's like it's so small. It's like three bites, you know, maybe four, like tiny bites. It's pretty good. I'm pretty looking good. up all these as he's saying them. And How do they look? <sighs> pretty good? Yeah. All right. Number one, Matt, the number one dessert. Number one, it's not even close for me. It's it's uh, from the Levain Bakery. And they've got amazing options. But I'm going to tell you the best thing at the Levain Bakery. It's this chocolate cookie with peanut butter inside of it and it's like i can't even tell you like it's actually hard to have one cookie like just by itself it's a pretty big cookie but uh but if you have it like with a coffee or something like that or it's, it's you mm. can't finish a cookie it's so good you it's play like professional so football for a living you can't finish a cookie Dude, I, I, I could finish, like, a sleeve of Oreos, okay? Like, okay. I'm not saying I can't do cookies. Well, it kind of sounds like maybe you can. I don't know. <laughs> this just, just try to have one. When you're done with your juice cleanse, you know, all that. That'll you know, be, like, whatever. three days. I can only last on these things <laughs> for a limited amount of time. Hey, just trust me. The Levain Bakery, the chocolate peanut butter. And there, there's other choices. Like, um, I'm looking like up if chocolate I had a, if, chip if, walnut. Yeah, they're really good. If Teddy and I had a four and a half hour train ride from, like, say, Boston back from New York City back to yeah. Boston, we we could probably get through maybe two cookies, maybe three cookies. Like that's, that's how it? good they are. They're very rich. They're Jeez. very rich. Yeah, they're good. Well, unfortunately, Matt, this is doing uh, nothing good for your reputation. Everybody who said this is the best show that we've ever had is now saying Matt sounds very out of touch, very elitist. I think I'm out on Matt Hasselbeck now. Well, this I mean, what do you want me to say? He used Newtons, to be a man of the know, people. Like, now the he's uh, out there talking about late patisserie. I don't know, Matt. I think you've lost. Truthfully, the hey, truthfully though, like to get this list, I had to text Teddy Bruski, and I'm like, "Yo, yo, 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 what's that big nasty called that we have every morning? The big nasty." And he's like, uh, "Cici Cella Patisserie." Wait, like, who okay. came up with the big nasty nickname for it? Rex Ryan, of yeah. course. Oh, it wasn't hey, Rex Twenty One. Ah, just give me the big nasty. <laughs> give me the big nasty. It's the perfect name for it, too. Matt, good stuff. Enjoy the division round of the playoffs this weekend. Usually the best round, right? You can still get four games with their eight really good teams, so this should be a lot of fun this weekend, hopefully better than last, and we'll talk on Wednesday. Awesome. Saturday, Sunday football. Love it. See you guys. Cool. See you, Matt. There you go. Every Wednesday with Matt Hasselbeck. We'll be here tomorrow morning. we got a lot going on on a Thursday. we got Dean Blandino on the show tomorrow at 9 o'clock. That'll be fun. I'm excited to talk to Dean Blandino. Maybe I'll run my proposal by him to change holding to two different calls, depending on if it's a running play or not. I don't think I've ever talked to him. I'm sure he'll know. He'll be into it, I'm sure. All right, we got to run. I'm sure he can't wait. I, I'm, he, I'm sure he's teasing it to his audience today as well. <laughs> we'll see you guys tomorrow morning, 6 a.m. Goodbye.